It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast. With me, Owen Bennett, and that noise you can hear in the background is the sound of the Eurostar as we wing our way back from Brussels, where the EU has just agreed that sufficient progress has been made on phase one of the Brexit talks. Now, here's Donald Tusk at a press conference after the historic moment was reached. Opening the second phase of our negotiations wouldn't be possible without the unity of the EU27, the hard work of Michel Barnier, and the constructive effort of Prime Minister May. As for the framework for future relations, it is now time for internal EU27 preparations and exploratory contacts with the UK to get more clarity on their vision. On that basis, we should adopt guidelines and start negotiations next year. So what's next for the process? The EU published guidelines today on the phase two talks showing that things will basically stay the same for two years after Brexit if they have their way. The UK will continue to participate in the customs union and single market during any transition period. Note the word participate there, which will allow Downing Street to claim they're no longer members of either institution, although they are abiding by the rules. Those rules include, of course, freedom of movement, the European Court of Justice having jurisdiction, and the UK will still have to abide by any new laws passed. On the flip side, the UK will not be involved in any decision-making process and will not be a member of any of the EU institutions. So no more MEPs, I'm afraid. Sorry about that, Nigel Farage. Anyway, I spoke to Italy's Europe Minister Sandro Gozzi earlier on about what was next in these discussions. And he said the ball is very much in Britain's court. Obviously, we're going to move on to the second stage of the talks today. That's what we think is going to happen. But there's a lot of talk that actually the next stage won't get going until March. Is there a concern that we're going to run out of time to get the trade deal done? No, I, I think we must, we must fully use the time at our disposal. The important deadline was this one, and we are respecting the deadline. Uh, we need time also in the Union to prepare the decision on the framework uh, agreement for the future relationship. So I think that uh, we need the January and February in order to identify a potential uh, 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 unitary position on issues such as the level playing field, the government of the process. So I think that uh, we are moving at the right rhythm. There's been a lot of talk that the EU aren't sure what Britain wants from Brexit exactly. Do you feel that is clearer now because of the past few weeks or are you still waiting for clarity? No, I mean uh, it was very important to clarify the three issues around which uh, we have registered, they are registering and we are registering today sufficient progress. It is not clear uh, what Britain wants for the transition period. It is not clear what Britain wants for the future. The ball is in the British uh, court and it is up to the Brits to tell us how they see the transition period and how see the future relationship. From an Italian perspective, we do believe that the transition period could be organized around a couple of years. 
and based on the single market and the customs union. So, I mean, the closer the transition period is to the current situation, the better for us. But it's up to the Brits to tell us how they want to start the negotiation. And finally, Theresa May came into this conference having lost a vote on Brexit in her parliament. But there, I see a lot of European leaders, a lot of people around Europe, are very quick to praise Theresa May today. Are you, is Europe concerned that Theresa May perhaps isn't stable enough and you could get in someone like Boris Johnson who drive a much harder bargain, so you want to keep her in place? Well, I mean, uh, that is, it is up, it's up to the British, it's up to the British Parliament. Uh, uh, we praised and the leader praised Theresa May because uh, it is remarkable what we achieved. After all, we managed, we made it. Uh, we have made it in due time, we have respected the deadline, we have given a strong guarantee around which we must better communicate uh, to our citizens uh, resident in UK. UK has taken on its uh, obligations, financial obligations as a member state, and we have set the goal no hard border in Ireland. Of course, we have now to identify the modality to achieve, mm. but that's certainly an important goal. So I think that this is, um, this is certainly something... Uh, important and it was uh, deserved, the, what uh, we say to Theresa May. Now, Ireland's Europe Minister Helen McKenzie is keen for the EU to get any loose threads on phase one of the talks tied up in January to allow further talks on trade to push on. I caught up with her just moments before it was officially announced phase one had been completed. What's happening now and what will happen after today is essentially we're in phase two now um, and there obviously needs to be an internal discussion among the 27 member states on their view of what a transition will be. The UK obviously have to come forward with their own and hopefully after the General Affairs Council in January we'll be able to start looking at that together. There has to be, a, I suppose, a, a, a what's the word? taking of the, the agreement and putting it into a legally binding treaty document. Again, we hope that the, the 27 member states will have a draft of that for the General Affairs Council that can then be discussed with the UK as well. Would you like to see that before the trade, the, the serious trade talks start? Getting this phase one agreement is a legally binding document before the trade talks? Well, I think that's what's to be decided, actually, and we'll see what comes out of the discussion this morning. But, I mean, I think our own view is that we want to be able to move on to trade talks or the informal trade talks, shall we say, as soon as possible. Um, but, obviously, the, the idea of the transition, what that looks like, timeline as well, that is something that has to be discussed, and that's what's going to happen in the new year as well. So there's a lot of intensive talks need to happen before we can actually start talking about the trade arrangement um, and even setting out a framework. So in phase one, we had three very clear strands. We had timelines. We had specific way of doing it, how will that look like in phase two, shall we say, or uh, as it was around talking about the, the trade arrangements. So I think there's still quite a bit of work to be done, but um, you know the exact chronological order of everything is still not exactly, uh, I suppose, thought, not, not thought out, but it's not exactly concrete at this stage. So. And just finally, there's been a lot of talk from uh, the EU, they're not quite sure what Brexit exactly Britain wants. Is that still the case? Are you a bit clearer now to knowing the kind of relationship the UK wants with the EU? Well, I think they've always been very clear that they want a very close relationship and that they want as close to as possible. Um, now, and actually setting that out and, and what that means is what we're going to do now in phase two. So particularly around transition, we know that maybe views have changed throughout this period of time. So I think that's why we need to have these intensive talks in the new year to get a bit of clarity around what the UK is thinking and how that matches up with the EU so that we're moving forward, knowing what it is everybody wants and, and what everybody's agreed to. 
Now, I've spent much of the past few days in the Justice Lipsius building in Brussels. Uh, the press area was in a huge hall with journalists from across the continent and beyond. There were rows and rows of tables. Imagine if Hogwarts in Harry Potter, the great hall there, had been uh, designed by bureaucrats with lots of glass and steel tubes everywhere. There was a couple of little boxes where people can go and smoke, uh, a bit of an indoor smoking area, which is probably why Nigel Farage loves being there so much. Uh, there must have been well over 100 to 150 journalists all eagerly anticipating the next stage of the talks. And I cut up with Lucia Abelan, a journalist for Spanish newspaper El País, to get the view from Spain on Brexit. So I'm here with uh, Lucia from El País. hope I pronounced that correctly. Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, obviously, in Spain, there's a lot going on at the moment internally, isn't there, with domestic politics, Catalonia, yes, Barcelona, that kind of thing. We does, have our own Brexit. <laughs> exactly. So does, does real Brexit, for want of a better word, does that register at all in Spain? Is that an issue? Does that get coverage? Yes, I think it's very important. It had a very big impact among population, of course, among politicians, because uh, Spain and UK have very strong links economically, socially, um, but also among population, because in Spain we have the, the biggest British um, community outside the, the UK living there, mainly in the Costa del Sol and also in, in, in uh, Comunidad Valenciana. So. Many people are used to actually seeing Brits living there, so I think the, the perception that they have of, of British citizens doesn't correspond to, to the one saying, we want to leave the European Union. So, yes, there's a lot of concern. Also because uh, yeah, we have many tourists, in, uh, British tourists in, in Spain, and also the other way around. A, a lot of people travel to the UK, and it's like a reference of uh, yeah, European model. So, pe so people are taking an interest in it. And is there the sense that people want to get the deal done as quickly as possible? Uh, uh, is there a sense people are worried about things like tourism and trade, or people not too concerned about those kind of things, you think? I think some people still believe that it's reversible. I mean, I think, really? Yeah, I think some people say, yeah, they voted, but uh, are they actually uh, going out from, from, from the European Union? So, um, yeah, I think some people don't have a clear, clear picture of what's going on. And, yeah, people normally know they are negotiating because the media um, put a lot of attention on that. We report a lot on, on, on Brexit. Um, but I think many people still think that, that yeah, it's possible to, to do something against it. Also because uh, Blair's message or Nick Clegg messages are also quite uh, reported in, in Spain. That's interesting because when Blair and Clegg say stuff in Britain, it's sort of derided, it's reported on, but it's not seen as particularly influential. But in Spain, they are seen as big figures still, so it gets, it gets coverage. So. Yeah, exactly. I think Blair is, is a very... I mean, it's a very clear uh, person an European, with an European profile for, for Spain. So, yeah, people tend to pay attention to, to what he says. And do you think Brexit had any impact at all on what happened in Catalonia, the sense of people taking back control, which was the famous phrase used in the UK Brexit campaign? Is there any impact or influence there, or is it completely separate? I think the Catalan independentists try to separate both messages because they are trying to, to build the, their cause on, on different bases, not the, not the economic basis. I mean, we, we don't want to give so much to the, um, to the European Union. In, in the case of Britain, we don't want to give so much to the, to the solidarity mechanism in, in Spain. So they, they don't want to make the link. But there are many politicians and also ordinary people saying, this is our own Brexit. I mean, they, they are claiming kind of the same. We and they use the word Brexit, do they? They use the, that kind of actual word. Um, 
yeah, in, in, in the Spain public opinion, we use the word Brexit and, and people are saying we have our own Brexit here in the Qatar state, we, we could say. So, yeah, there, there's, um, there are some similarities and I think people are, are starting to see it. And some uh, very prominent politicians are, are saying that, listen, this is, this is our, Brexit, our Brexit, don't try to, to portray it as any other thing because it's, it's pretty much the same. And just finally, um, we see in other parts of Europe, particularly Eastern Europe and even in Italy, there is a, an anti-EU uh, part of those countries. Is, is there anything like that in Spain? Is there any chance of Spain going the way that Britain's gone and voting for Brexit one day or is it so entrenched as part of the European community? Yeah, I don't see that happening in Spain. Even though after the economic crisis, um, people started to see a different picture of, of Brussels, um, pretty much uh, identified with austerity policies. But apart from that, I think we still have the, um, the tradition of, of dictatorship very, very vividly in people's mind. So for, for Spaniards, uh, the European Union is like... Yeah, the, the dem, uh, democratic values, uh, the European values that we always wanted to, to get to. So I think it's very difficult to revert that. And yeah, yeah th there's still a very prominent European sentiment in Spain. So that's it from me as I wing my way back to Britain from Brussels. Uh, Theresa May got her deal, got it before Christmas, and all attention now turns to phase two. The EU are pretty clear. They want to get the transition deal sorted before moving on to trade discussions in March, whereas the UK seem to want both negotiations to happen simultaneously. But given how the UK caved into the EU sequencing talks on phase one, I think that's likely to happen again on the next stage. How will the Brexiteers wear the fact that they're basically gonna Britain's basically gonna stay in the single market and the customs union for two years after Brexit and they've got to follow all those EU rules? I'd keep your eye on that for the next kind of argument. But they can't push too hard because if they if they topple May, of course, they might not Brexit won't happen at all, someone else might come in. Uh, and also it's worth noticing worth noting this weekend actually uh, these past couple of days, sorry, that um, the EU leaders are very keen to praise Theresa May at any opportunity. Uh, they didn't make hay particularly about the fact that she'd lost this vote earlier in the week. I think they want to keep her in post because they realise if she goes, she might be replaced by an even more hardcore Brexiteer. So it's a, it's a very fine sort of game of chess going on at the moment here with everyone trying to anticipate everyone else's next moves. But we're on to phase two and Theresa May will be delighted she's managed to get this all signed off before Christmas. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.